Hey. Hi. So last night, we're like sitting there watching TV, mm-hmm. and we hear a cat commotion upstairs. <laughs> I am familiar with those. These, these are pretty common occurrences in our house, and yours too. <laughs> now it is. Higgins is kind of a butt cat. He knocks things off shelves and just, he just causes chaos. <laughs> well, we hear this and we're trying to figure out, okay, you know, which cat is involved? <laughs> and one of our cats kind of has her own room. She's she's a little isolated. Shusha. She just doesn't get along well with the other cats, and she prefers the solitude. Yeah, yeah. But she's in there shrieking, and we're like... Nobody's in there. Did what you the do this to yourself? Well, Abby goes up to check. And there was a cat outside <gasps> on like the roof. <laughs> oh my God. It was like on the other side of the window, you know, messing. And they were like yelling at each other through the window. Is your house on like a cat graveyard? Like you're, there's just a magnetic pull. <laughs> No idea. We were like, oh, man, they must have climbed up the tree or something. But <laughs> Just to fuck with its old cat. Yeah. Oh, poor Shusha. That had to be scary. Yeah, Abby was kind of pissed. She's like, oh, they shouldn't have their cat running around at night, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, it's just a cat. But yeah, I guess that's probably not wise. Yeah, uh, it's not safe. Yeah, cat owning protocol. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like today, Eris was begging me to go outside. But I'm like, there's a heat advisory, dude. It's 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 107, 108. Yeah, if the heat doesn't get you, the coyotes will. <laughs> yeah, no, she's pretty good about just, at least lately because it's so hot, she mm-hmm. just stays around. But And she's just so fluffy that it cannot take her long. If I step outside and immediately start melting, she has to be dying. <laughs> right? She is just a ball of fluff. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little chapter of my exciting life. <laughs> That was the Cat News Network. All right. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for your update from the field. Anytime. What are you teaching me today? Today, we are going to learn about Thomas Sankara. Oh, yeah, this guy. All right. So, yeah, we're going to be learning about him and kind of what happened when he was president, you know, before then and after then, too, of course, but mm-hmm. when he was president of Burkina Faso. Okay, great. For the less geographically inclined listeners or just a lot of people don't really know where this country is this is in western africa yeah i didn't know either but i wasn't going to admit it (laughs) (laughs) no worries Uh, it's in western africa it's bordered by a lot of different countries because it's landlocked Mm, okay so it's like above or north of um togo and ghana and the ivory coast okay so it's like kind of, you know, we're Africa, mm-hmm. like West Africa there is just like offset from the coast a little bit. From like the scoop? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if if Africa that. were a scoop of ice cream, it would be tucked underneath the scoop. Okay, great. Yeah, that's where it is. <laughs> so I don't know if this is going to come up at all, but mm-hmm. what I immediately thought of when you said landlocked was Paraguay. Wasn't that also landlocked mm. and... Like, that was one of the reasons they moved towards socialism, because they're like, guys, we don't have ports. Like, we got to fucking do this. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. It's There's there's definitely an element of Sankara's program that is uh, self-sufficient. It's like, we got to do this for ourselves. We can't be relying on foreign powers. Yeah, I just i am wondering if that's like a trend. Okay. Keep an eye out, commies. 
<laughs> All right. So some context as to why to learn about Sakura is, you know, because he's not really as well known in the United States, maybe, maybe yeah. other capitalist countries, too. Uh, he's not like in the big, you know, he's not Lenin or, mm-hmm. or someone like that. He's still one of the major figures on the left. If you're like in leftist spaces, you'll probably eventually hear about him. I mean, uh, I have not heard about him, and I think that's pretty mm-hmm. telling because, like, I mean, he's black, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I he's just African. Think, you know, what a coincidence that that's the one I haven't heard of. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense too. He's important as a popular figure because mm-hmm. he's one of kind of the left's martyrs. Yeah. People refer to him as Africa's Che Guevara. Mm, okay. Uh, so, in the sense, you know, both of them were. Spoiler, murdered by imperialism. Big spoiler. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Uh, this this will unfold like a tragedy. Okay. Bummer. And just as his, in terms of what he was doing when he was alive, though, I think he's an awesome example of a socialist and anti-imperialist leader. Love that. All right. He does not do everything perfectly. Nobody does. <laughs> Duh. I mean, you know, you'll we'll, we'll find a couple strikes, I'm sure. Ah, oh, okay. But... I don't think that's the key thing, right? I mean, we want to, like, learn from historical figures' mistakes, of course. But we don't want to be like, oh, damn, they, we know, we can't do anything they did because they were bad this one time, you know? Yeah, exactly. Just, like, take what's good, leave what's bad. It's not that hard. (laughs) Use some critical thinking. (laughs) Yeah, it's not useful to you if you just, like, toss it all out the window. Yeah. Because, oh, they did this one thing. Which, even if it could be really bad, you know? We'll see that he did really incredible things for his people and his program kind of serves as a guide positively and negatively for implementing socialism in a nation. And I also think that his, he's like super strong on anti-imperialism. That's like one of the main things that he's about. Fuck yeah. Obviously we love that. So yeah, I'm into uh, it. That's still fucking useful (laughs) as hell in today's world. Yeah, for sure. So let's get into his life. Tell me a story. (laughs) Uh, so Thomas Sankaram was born on December 21st, 1949. He was the third of 10 children to Joseph and Marguerite Sankara in Yako in a country called French Upper Volta, which okay. is modern day Burkina Faso. Okay. So probably a Capricorn with that birthday, but I'd have to check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do need to check. Okay, I mean, we, let's we, do have it. To, we have to get a little star reading. Well... So that you can kind of think about that in context as we mm, Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, hold on. Do the reading kind of subconsciously as we go, and then we'll put it together. Yes, <laughs> yes. Let me do a Google. We've got... Oh, we don't know his time of birth. No. But we do know he's a Sagittarius. Okay. And a Capricorn moon. We don't have his rising. Okay. That's interesting, right. interesting. I will keep this in mind as we go. He will write his rising in his life story here (laughs) (laughs) so young thomas's father was a cop Mm. for the french colonial state there so he kind of grew up uh yeah he kind of grew up relatively well off and yeah you're right it's kind of an interesting background to come from (laughs) we've seen we've kind of seen examples of you know coming from middle class or kind of like well-off backgrounds and stuff and then Turning over to the socialist side. I mean, it's one thing to come from well off or middle class, but like cop, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So real quick about the kind of colonial relationship there, because French mm-hmm. Upper Volta, he's working for the French colonial like state there. French Upper Volta had been a French colony since 1896. Okay. When they claimed it as part of the wider 
scramble for Africa, if mm-hmm. you've heard this term before. That's from 1884 to 1914, when the Europeans were just fucking going crazy, brutally taking over Africa. So, I, question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have heard this term before. They had already been colonizing Africa for like hundreds of years before that, right? It was just like, now it's more official or what? Not much of Africa had been colonized before that. Oh, so maybe only the coasts or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They went from controlling like 10% of Africa to 90%. Holy shit. Okay. So it was just all at once. Well, I mean, that's 20 years, I guess, 30 years, but still a big increase in that. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. Okay. Yeah. So they take over the place. I mean, you know, obviously, same story as indigenous areas anywhere. Any, you know, people had been living there. You had the Mosi kingdoms. You had before that the Bura and Bura Sinda cultures. Long histories there. Mm-hmm. And then the French come in and take over. What the fuck? They eventually set up Haute Volta or Upper Volta okay. as it's just a colony. And so that kind of goes through some phases because France, like, fucks around with its <laughs> colonial possessions. Okay. They go through like the Fourth Republic where they're yeah. doing one thing. Then they go to the Fifth Republic where they're doing another thing. They're being France. <laughs> yeah. And by that point, they're like, shit, we just have too many colonies. We can't do it. Um, we kind of have to turn loose a little oh, bit. And, poor and they start kind of decolonizing. Yeah. Sad story for uh-huh, them. Too many a lot of toys. people were pissed about it in France. <laughs> Conservatives and yeah, stuff, yeah. right? They were like, this is bullshit. But this is kind of the context of it. In 1960, when Sankara is just 11, Upper Volta became fully independent from France. It became the Republic of Upper Volta under its first president, a guy named Maurice Yameogo. Okay. Uh, who was kind of a dick. He was kind of an autocratic, <laughs> kind of corrupt leader. Okay. But yeah, that's kind of in his childhood what's geopolitically going on. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, he was a, he was a nerd in school. Nice. Love a nerd. Yeah, he was also raised a devout Roman Catholic. Interesting. Right, yeah, son of a cop, devout Roman Catholic. <laughs> Not the direction you see him going, but Not all right. Not usually. But landlocked nerd, maybe we need to look out for like some radical from Kansas. I don't know. Or Iowa. Or Iowa. Iowa. We love Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> the priests and his parents, mm-hmm. they wanted him to go on to seminary. Oh, shit, like, yeah. Come on, go be a priest, you know? You're smart. You could do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of, like, thought about it, but he decided instead to finish his secular education and then go on to enter the military academy in 1966. Okay, this guy's taking some twists and turns. Yeah. <laughs> Cop, potential priest, then soldier. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, kind of reading into this, like, what? For one, it was good scholarship money. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, that was like, okay, I got you. I know why. <laughs> First, right off the bat. <laughs> now I understand. For another, the military had actually just taken part alongside with like a general strike and widespread protests in ousting that guy that I mentioned earlier. Oh, Yami the Ogo. dick president. Mm-hmm. Oh. They ousted him in favor of General Sangolay Lamizana. Okay. This was January 3rd, 1966. So people were kind of seeing... The military is like maybe a modernizing force, something that could maybe make the country less corrupt. Okay. Interesting. Strange, right? Weird, but... Yeah, they kind of saw it as progressive, and we're like, that. the military is not that. But. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine the military doing a general strike or participating in one? That'd be insane. <laughs> they'd, they'd be the ones stopping the general strike. Yeah, but things were different there. While at the military academy, 
Sakura encountered a recurring guest for our program, the Radical Teacher. Oh, yes. I love those. <laughs> this guy was named Adama Ture, and he taught Sakura history and geography, uh, but he was also a secret leftist. Nice. And he recruited his best students into kind of an informal, cool discussion group about cool leftist stuff. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, so basically the nerds of his class, like, they were going, discussing, like, anti-imperialism, <laughs> neo-colonialism, communism, the Russian and Chinese revolutions, and liberation movements throughout Africa. That's amazing. Would love if I had been cool enough as a teen to get picked into a secret communist society, but I was not. <laughs> Nor was I. <laughs> we, we missed that. Yeah. <laughs> This is kind of a way broader topic than we have time for, but we can kind of oversimplify it to kind of understand Sankara's like historical situation. Okay. But Africa, we mentioned, you know, obviously had been severely fucked over by just colonization. Oh, yeah. But after World War II, Europe was buried in debt and really couldn't as easily afford to keep dominating those colonies. Mm, okay. So that's why we said France started getting rid of its colonies. This was part of a wave of decolonization in Africa from the 1950s to the 1970s. Cool. Sometimes it's super oversimplified, but sometimes it was like more peaceful. Sometimes it was very bloody. You had like a long war in Algeria from 1954 to 1962. Like hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas some places it was like, I mean, people were killed, but like not. As many wasn't more as bad. protests and stuff. Okay, you know? okay. But either way, Sankara was just a young man during decolonization. He kind of witnesses and gets to discuss it in this group firsthand. Neocolonialism, which mm. is the economic domination that comes right after that. When you're officially independent, but then like the former colonizers are making all these business deals to still tie you to them. That's what yeah. we were reading about in Galliano's Open Veins of Latin America. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing, like... That is kind of classic, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And so he was seeing that happen kind of as in his formative years. Mm -hmm. In 1970, he went to officer training in Madagascar, read okay. some good books by guys like Karl Marx. Nice. Lenin. Did his theory, you know. <laughs> Did his homework. And once he finished officer school, he came back as captain now Ooh. in the military, you know. Uh, went back to Upper Volta and fought in a brief border war with Mali in 1974. This kind of got him popularity because, like, his, you know, the guys he commanded, he was good, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Soldiering. But later on, he kind of looked back on this and was like, that was bullshit. Like, that was a useless war. It was unjust. I just, mm -hmm. you know, should not have been there but did not know better. Yeah. Sort of I thing. mean, I'm not even going to give him a strike. He owned up to it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Again, wanted scholarship money. Not going to hate on that. It shapes his approach to the military later. Mm -hmm. He has this quote where he says, a soldier without any political or ideological training is a potential criminal. Basically just saying like this person, you know, this soldier is just going to go and follow orders and shoot something mm -hmm. unless he like has a set of principles already. Oh, okay. I like that. He kind of like wanted soldiers who would, you know, question yeah, yeah. Orders and stuff and, and do what was right rather than what they were told. Oh, yeah. And that is not how most soldiers work. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he also, during this time, gets into other hobbies mm -hmm. like playing guitar. Okay. This guy, roller coaster. Okay. 
Yeah, he played in a musical group called Tutaku Jazz. <laughs> okay, great. Along with his best friend, this guy he had met in 1976 in the military. He was a vocalist. He was a fellow officer, Captain Blaise Compaore. Okay, great. I mean, I love it. Yeah. He found some good friends, including Compaore here, who was a fellow leftist as well mm, as a fellow officer. Okay, started a communist band. Yeah, and he also forms this kind of secret organization Ugh, within yes. the military. Okay. <laughs> of Called the Communist Officers Groups. Wow. Okay, yeah. Once again, zigging and zagging. Secret society, super normal. Everyone does it. Who hasn't? Right. But in the military, <laughs> not a lot of people have done that one, I don't think. No, that's so wild. Like, we've seen our fair share of communist book clubs turn into <laughs> communist parties taking <laughs> yeah. over a country, but... Not from the military. So That's it's a yeah, a good twist. <laughs> <laughs> I did not find details on what this club uh, entailed, like what they actually did if they just went out <laughs> drinking, talking shit or, okay, or what. Okay. But I, I have no idea. Important question. Did you find any music? Was it good? I couldn't find that either. No. I really wanted to find his band, but I couldn't find any recordings. So. All right. If anyone knows where to track those down, like, let me know. <laughs> yes, for real. Um, he, so he's growing in popularity. Right? Mm-hmm. He's in the military. He's just kind of young, up and coming. He's got a band. Officers. He's got a band. <laughs> he's cool. He's, he's yeah. living his life. I'm in. In November 1980, a guy named Colonel Say Zerbo okay. took power in a coup. Surprise, surprise. Ooh, Very original. Okay, yeah. You know. And he appointed Sankara, very popular guy. He appointed him to be Minister of Information in his new government. Hmm, Okay. That was a year in September 1981. So he's kind of serving as like a press secretary. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And he had a very different style than most government ministers from day one. For example, he uh, biked to work instead (laughs) of being driven in a fancy government Mercedes Benz. Nice. But he also like did his job differently itself, not just style points, but like was way more open with the media. And actually, instead of like censoring stories, was encouraging people to do investigative journalism to expose government scandals and stuff. Holy shit. Can you imagine if we had a press secretary that was like, aren't you going to ask me more questions? Don't you think this is kind of (laughs) shady? You just believe that? Okay. (laughs) That would be, well, they wouldn't last long. And Sankaran did not last long either. Oh, okay. (laughs) He ended up resigning April 1982. Okay. Because that Zerbo guy started out kind of cool, ended mm. up being a dick. Mm, okay. He banned labor union strikes. Fuck that. And yeah, Sankara was like, yes, fuck <laughs> also that. Fuck I that. hate that. And resigned. And in November of that year, uh, Zerbo in turn was ousted by a coup. Mm, who's up next? <laughs> uh, he was followed by a guy named uh, kind of a moderate liberal democrat sort of Aww. figure uh named jean baptiste wedrogo cool the coup happened because you know zerbo was being an asshole the communist officers group they kind of supported it and you also had like moderate to progressive factions in the military mm. and also trade unions who were all kind of in with this okay. coup. they banded together to get rid of that one dick but like yeah they still got a liberal. And the compromise guy. <laughs> yeah, the compromise guy was the liberal Democrat sort okay. of guy. Very 
he was very boring from my reading of him like he was always you know shit was popping off all over the place you know or someone would attempt a coup or whatever and he's just like well you can kind of understand why (laughs) just chill let's all calm down and stuff all right president chill yeah but he was very you know capitalist i mean you know Mm. sakura by this point is kind of a little more openly leftist yeah He's selected, actually, as prime minister, and he starts touring communist and socialist and non-aligned countries. Ooh, okay. Develops this pretty big, like, public following and, you know, again, becomes more obviously leftist, whereas Wedrogo is more like, no, 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 we're still going to do, like, private property. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. We're just running a normal government here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nothing to see here. Totally normal government. Right. But his, <laughs> like, mm, very toned down boring style was way less popular and way more overshadowed by Sankara's like leftist popular style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they developed kind of a frenemy situation. <laughs> okay. On May 16th, 1983, kind of tired of of dealing with Sankara's like shadow, you know. Wedrogo also ended up meeting with a guy named Guy Penne who was France's advisor on african affairs Mm, i don't like this i smell a rat and then decided you know what's a good idea conveniently after talking to that guy is i'm going to uh purge my government of anybody who's anti-french or leftist okay cool cool so he does that yeah everyone not anti-french after having been colonized by them like i'm anti-spain and i'm half white (laughs) <laughs> no offense, Spain. You're cool now. We did a whole episode on you. I just get to make fun of you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the pro- the more prosperous kind of middle class, the you know the exporters, anyone who's doing business with them, mm-hmm. they like them. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, because they make them rich. Ugh, gross. Okay, does a purge. So yeah, he uh, gets. Sankara and some other officials arrested. Meanwhile, Kampaora, his best friend, you mm-hmm. know, he escapes. He starts organizing a resistance nice. to kind of try to break Sankara out slash take over the government. Fuck yeah. And meanwhile, people take to the streets. <gasps> they start demanding that uh, Sankara is released. Hell yeah, that popularity is paying off. Yeah. Ugh. It's, um, at this point, it's kind of an on-again, off-again series of him being released or put into house arrest or being <laughs> rearrested. Jesus, okay. It's a cycle. But at some point, Wedra Ogo, the president, right, he mm-hmm. realizes, man, I've kind of pissed off too many people. <laughs> Sankara is too powerful, popular, rather. He agrees to have a meeting with him and says, look, it's over for me. I'm going to resign. We'll do a transitional government. Wow. Because, again, this guy's super boring, doesn't really have any fight in him. <laughs> he had that one. He was like, I guess he was really feeling it after that meeting with the French guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to do this. He, you like, talked yeah. him up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but ne- he was back to his usual self and was like, oh, no, never mind. I love this plan to take over the government via starting a book club, starting a band, and getting popular. Like, that sounds great. That sounds like yes. a great experience. <laughs> We got to put some planning into it, I think. But yeah, it could work. We got the book club. We just have to (laughs) start a band and become more popular. (laughs) Yeah, it's only a matter of time. And we have boring ass Joe Biden in office. So this could happen. (laughs) We have to get arrested a few times. That part sucks, but it's fine. Yeah, it should. It should work. (laughs) 
eventually he'll sit us down and be like, well, you guys are just, you're too cool. You're too cool, you're too cool you're Jack. Too cool, Mac. <laughs> or Mac, I would say Jack. <laughs> it's interesting, though. So they had that meeting. And Sakura's kind of like, oh, cool. This is what I wanted, I guess. <laughs> Thanks. Um, he's like, oh, I need a couple hours. I got to go talk to uh, Kampaora and tell him what's going on, right? But meanwhile, Uh-oh. Kampaora had already launched a coup to free Sakura. So, oh, like, no. awkward. He shows up just like right after Sakura leaves to go find him. He shows up at the Capitol building and takes over, arrests <laughs> Wedrogo, and um, makes. Sankara, the new president of Upper Volta. So it's like a simultaneous thing. (laughs) You got to make sure your friends are in the loop. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like they could have called him up. This is uh, is 1983. Yeah. Yeah. You could just text him and be like, I got it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Guess who's president? (laughs) But yeah. So they they do this simultaneous coup slash deal and he becomes president of Upper Volta. Hell yeah. What's this guy do as president? There's a lot of stuff. Okay. So I'm going to kind of take it by topic. Mm-hmm. Not not so much temporally because that's too yeah. disjointed. Okay. One thing to kind of get us on the right terminology is we'll talk about kind of the cultural shifts. These are going to sound kind of like small bore sort of symbolic things. Okay. But another way to look at it is he is kind of like outwardly decolonizing. Yeah. The okay. country, you know. For one, he changes the name. So I don't have to keep calling it Upper Volta. Mm. Uh, this is a year into his presidency. Changes the name from Upper Volta to Burkina Faso. Okay. Which means land of the upright or also translated as honest or incorruptible people. Ooh, that's cool. Or sometimes it's translated as land of the upright man, but the word is either. Mm-hmm. There's this documentary that I watched for this and it was really good called Tamasakura, the upright man. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes from. Nice. Okay. He does some things that I think you would like to do when you first take over. Oh, hell yeah. He makes a new flag yes uh, he has a branding redesign meeting. yeah <laughs> he gets marketing in there he wrote a new national anthem hell yes yeah. see this is this is animal crossing shit i, I just redesigned <laughs> my flag yesterday because it was my cat and now i have two cats so i had to do both of them so oh, i get it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean he was like new ruler new flag hell yeah he also did this thing where he required public servants to wear a traditional tunic uh, called the Faso Danfani. Okay. Which was, I think, like both a cultural signifier, but the requirement was not just like, go buy this from, you know, go order this on Amazon from China or something. It was, <laughs> go get one that was like made here. So Ooh, it was yeah. a way to boost domestic cotton production and textile production too. Nice. I mean, you know, not the biggest change, but I think again. It's a nice symbol. Yeah, yeah. So those are kind of some of the symbol things. But let's get into the meat of establishing a socialist's worker state, a worker's commune mm, situation. Yes, yes. You know? Pass me a plate. I'm in. Here he's looking to reduce corruption, to reduce privileges within the government, and to put the people in control of... And, and he's kind of like trying to do a wider social revolution. He calls it the democratic and popular revolution. Okay. One. He reduced the salaries of government ministers okay. to normal, like, workman's <laughs> level. Yes, that's and important. This is straight from the state and revolution. Yeah, right? absolutely. Or from the marks that he was quoting in that, straight up making the apparatus of government of the people instead. You know? Yeah. For himself, he only earned $450 a month. Okay. 
That was what I read, so I'm not sure what they were using, but if they mean like a U.S. dollar's equivalent in 1983, that's about $1,200 today. Oh, a month? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's not very much. Yeah. Not a lot. He lived very austerely himself. He just owned like a car, some bikes, some guitars, and a refrigerator. (laughs) Oh, that's his inventory. Okay. Yeah, that's what he had. Uh, So very Spartan. He even refused air conditioning in his own office because not a lot of people in Burkina Faso had air conditioning. So he was Mm. like, I'm not going to be living it up when so many people aren't. Yeah. So trying to like reduce privileges overall. And Mm -hmm. he does this not just to himself to like show people, but also requires it of other government officials. Yeah. Yeah. If there were any of them that like had been enriching themselves before and still had a lot, he made them pay one month's salary uh, to fund public works. Oh, nice. He sold off the government's fleet of the fancy Mercedes Benz cars. <laughs> yeah, everyone's uh, biking now. And well, he replaced them with cars because oh, okay, not everyone okay. could bike, I guess, but they were like cheaper, shittier cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. You know. And he didn't let them, like, use chauffeurs instead. He had them driving. He didn't let them fly first class instead. He was just, like, take coach. Um, When he would visit his troops, he was, like, eating rations with them. Mm -hmm. There's this one story I read where he, like, takes his cabinet out to lunch, right? And they're all like, oh, hell yeah, man. (laughs) Give me that steak. taking us to lunch. Yeah, he's going to, we're going to go to this cool place and, like, eat on the government dime. (laughs) He takes them to this like cheap cafeteria for like working class people. Oh, I love that. And they're that. all like, mm, okay, all right. And, but they, you know, that's a lot of food, I guess, right? But then afterwards, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, pick up your own tab, guys. <laughs> I love that. We're not here to live off the government. Normally, if your boss takes you out, do order something expensive. But in this context, yeah. it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they're, it's not so much a boss thing as like they're, you know, government officials i guess it's a little different yeah yeah different situation (laughs) so another thing is he set up something called the committees for the defense of the revolution okay and these were local militia cells Mm, okay kind of they would receive a little bit of military training some ideological training and this is kind of inspired by a the system of the same name in cuba Mm, okay yeah these same things okay that sounded familiar i'm like i know that name is cool but have I heard it before or is it just cool? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a way of kind of mobilizing the masses to try to take part directly, right, in yeah. carrying out the revolution instead of like, oh, let's just have the army do it for Dictating people the it. government. Yeah. yeah. Trying to make it more participatory, putting the people in charge of the government. And it's, neither of these, the salaries thing or, or the committees of defense is not like complete, you know, 100% worker state thing, but it's like it reminds me of. Mm-hmm, for sure, yeah. Trying to put that into place, yeah. It could be seen as a transition to that. Mm-hmm, yeah. The committees for the defense of the revolution sometimes did get out of hand. Uh, people would, like, use these to settle personal scores instead Whoops. of, like, just doing their job. Okay. You know? And Sakura tried to, like, tell them, don't be assholes, you know, but mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? some of them did. <laughs> it also kind of clashed with the traditional, like, tribal Mossi people. Okay, who they kind of had a chieftain hierarchy arrangement and it, you know, it was their traditional way of life, mm-hmm. but it was kind of exploitative. Okay. I mean, because you had like the chief in charge or whatever, and they could like get forced labor Ooh. from people in their, you know, tribe. Or yeah. They demand tribute payments. They like were the law in mm-hmm. the area that they administered. So that was kind of taken away. Like they didn't have that judgment part that was in the 
that was separated from them, they could no longer, you know, forced labor tribute system. Those were abolished. Mm, okay. So it was kind of controversial in terms of stepping on their toes, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. it was also kind of good because they were doing some bad things. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's kind of rough. That's a weird situation. Yeah. Yeah. He also set up a justice system called the People's Revolutionary Tribunals. <laughs> that's a great and scary name. Well, it's uh, it kind of let the workers and peasants kind of participate in and monitor trials, especially those perceived to be enemies of the revolution. It's kind of like inspired by Cuba, inspired by the Soviet Union sort of thing. Yeah. Where you kind of ended up with the revolutionary like tribunals of mm-hmm. various sorts. So those usually end up with like big purges, lots of like death. Did that happen? They did. They I don't think we're typically death penaltying people. There okay. are people who get like exiled or like expelled from public service or there is one this guy mentioned suspending people. I don't know if the translation was weird or what, but that one sounded kind of bad because what they would do is just like for a while, maybe they only did this for high up government officials or something who could survive because they would make you work like but for free. Oh, shit. Oh, so if that was for like, I don't know, I could I would support that. For, like, a government official caught with corruption. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would just sure. be like, bitch, come in, do your job. You ain't getting paid. Because it's not, I mean, that's hardly slavery, really, because, like, you're a government official. You're not breaking your back anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And you're not, like, starving for it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're But if it you're was for fine. regular people, that would suck. That would, would suck. I would be opposed. I, I don't have details on who received those sentences. That was just in the documentary. Interesting. This kind of targeted previous government officials or corruption or tax evasion, but it also targeted like people who were deemed lazy workers Uh-oh. or and also suspected counter revolutionaries. Mm, OK, it's kind of controversial as any sort of revolutionary style justice system is, uh, especially with like the more rule of law crowd. And I think we end up kind of delving or exposing a little bit of liberal bias ourselves in terms of being like, oh, but like. People having rights, you know. And <laughs> yeah, I, the lazy worker one. I'm super curious about that. I don't know that that seems like it could go bad. <laughs> well, what if somebody showed up and was just like, "I ain't working, pay me." You know, yeah. if you're like trying to build a hospital or something. Yeah, that's true. I don't know what you do, but but I don't know what they're doing. Actually. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know the punishment and I don't know the system. I don't know the process. Or if that was like really the situation or if it was just yeah. like, I don't like this guy. He's a lazy worker, you know? So we don't really know for sure. Um, but I guess it does remind me sort of of our discussion of like the red terror and the Spanish civil war, the Russian civil war is like, it does seem kind of unfair in terms of like following a, a set code sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know? But overall, Aside from excesses, which are not good. Yeah. Uh, it does seem to kind of be a more or less an expression of what people wanted to do. Okay. You know? Sure. I'm not going to say they did everything right because I don't think they did. It seems like they, you know, run afoul sometimes. Okay. Gotcha. We'd have to figure out how to run that better. No idea. <laughs> no ideas for that. All right. So that's kind of like the setting up the state sort of thing. Let's talk about some policies. Policies. Lay them on me. Policies. Let's start with kind of the economy or like agriculture, housing, infrastructure, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Land reform, number one. Mm, That's my favorite. 
That's like that would be inside my little communist locket. Like that's that's my number oh, one is, yeah. is land reform. I'd have land a picture reform. of my husband, and then I guess I'd have to have pictures of all the animals, and then land reform. <laughs> and just like some farms or something. Just some some sort of icon representing that. <laughs> Land reform, obviously, redistributing land from the large landowners. They also did irrigation and fertilization projects, and they overall they boosted agricultural production nice. by doing this. Uh, they boosted cereal production by seventy five percent. Holy shit! They were uh, yeah, they were really trying to do some self sufficiency here. They nice. did not want to be suffering from famine. They did not want to have to rely on food aid. Uh, Sankara had a quote saying, the one who feeds you usually will impose his will upon you. Yep. And, I mean, they're pretty successful. By 1986, the country was producing 3,900 kilograms of wheat per hectare, which is compared... So, like, you're like, I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know. I didn't know. It's a farm term. (laughs) (laughs) This compares to the regional average of 1,700 kilograms per hectare. So, like... Oh, shit, yeah. So, doubled, basically. Yeah. Wow. I liked that quote of whoever feeds you controls you or whatever, because I mean, if you think about that on a a micro level, when you think about food deserts, those are often the places who are under the Mm. most pressure from the state. Yes. Yeah. And all of, you know, so much of what they, where they can spend their money for food is just siphoned right out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, What else did they do? They converted the army's storehouse of supplies and shit into instead a, a state-owned supermarket. Oh, cool. The first in the country opened to everyone. They built more than 700 kilometers of rail uh, nice. without foreign help. They were just doing that themselves. Nice. So, sometimes like really low tech, you know, just out there, manual labor. Damn. You know, that's how they were doing it. Uh, they built lots of roads and highways to connect more rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they built public housing in cities. That's huge. And like this was a big theme in Open Veins too, is when you have capitalists building rails, they're not going to build it for it to be convenient for people, but for mm-hmm. merchandise. To make sure they can export their shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of building of stuff. And that yeah. sounds like, well, okay, maybe we're, maybe the environment's going to suffer for this. But. Ooh, I was going to ask but then. I'm like, oh, this is like the 50s. I don't, or no, wait, what time is it? <laughs> uh, this is the 80s. The 80s. Just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Takes power in 83. I've got to emphasize the years a little more for sorry, you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm bad with numbers. So, yeah, I was going to ask, and I was like, oh, I don't know if like they would be concerned. but I, So I didn't ask. I got scared. But tell me. <laughs> so he was very concerned about that. His presidency was very pro-environment. He's nice. more of like an eco-socialist in that way. Mm, this, I think this might be our first eco-socialist. Well, he's, you know, and it comes from experience because there, his, this region... Burkina Faso is, is right in, it's in the Sahel, just south of the uh, Sahara Desert. Oh, okay, so, gotcha. So experiencing desertification, to combat that, they planted over 10 million trees. Holy shit, that's awesome. Uh, they set up a group to build 7,000 village nurseries throughout the country, like one village, one grove. So like you were not mm-hmm. only doing reforestation up where you like were targeting it, but you were also just like spreading this everywhere, oh. saying like, we're all going to do this. I love that because, yeah, I was concerned. We're talking about the building, even the farming. Like, oh, shit. Like, are you going to be a monoculture or something? Mm, like, yeah. oh, that is so great. So, yeah, yeah. There's that that ecology component, too. Major points from me. All right. I'm going to maybe detract a point. Oh, though. no. 
<laughs> All right. With our next thing. Potential first strike. Trade unions and political parties. Uh, they got banned. No, come on. You were doing so well. In one example, some teachers. Well, the teachers went on strike. Oh, no. Uh, thousands of them. Uh, and Sankara just uh, fired them all. I mean, this is like when fuck? Ronald Reagan crushed the airline unions. Is <laughs> what the fuck, man? Yeah, he just he just fired them and replaced them. That's strike one. I'm writing it down. <laughs> open my notes up. It wasn't even open for this guy yet. Jeez, he was doing great. Well, you know, we all make mistakes. Uh, he replaced them with revolutionary teachers. Anyone who had a college degree and could go through 10 days of training and then was they were sent out to be teachers. Sorry, how many days? Ten. Ten days to be a teacher? Well, you had a college degree, but yes, ten. Okay. Seems <laughs> a little short. Yeah. Um, that I doubt the success of, of that overall. Yeah. I mean, I know Texas has low teaching requirements, but damn, that's, that's a new low. <laughs> so this part, I think, you know, we just said we're giving in a strike. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of dictatorial. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to kind of try to put myself in his shoes and say like okay what in what context would i do this okay because if we look at it right we've already described a few coups where Mm -hmm. unions had taken part Mm, yeah yeah right and he also had rival political parties taking part in that too Mm -hmm. and in the documentary they're interviewing someone who was saying like look we we saw when people went on strike and stuff you know it was against the government but like now the government is like more of the people it's more like democratic and worker state and so now if you're against the government like we don't like you because you're you know against the people Uh, i think that was the rationale so i I guess i can see why he would think this was necessary in that situation although i'm still gonna reserve and say like i would hope that i could find a different way to do that (laughs) yeah that's the thing like i i kind of see the logic of that but to me that makes me think of when he was in the army and he was like oh it's good to have people question you like you got a bunch of teachers striking you might want to ask like hey what's what's going on why why are you mad Mm -hmm. yeah and the unions thing they participated in coups against like not socialists so like i think you're good probably (laughs) They probably weren't going to coup you. Yeah. 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 They might like strike, but like maybe you should give them something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd, I wanted to do that partially because sometimes when we come away with like, it just seems like someone did something bad for no reason. Like mm-hmm. they woke up one day and was like, I'm going to be a jerk. Blam. You know? <laughs> I was just pissed that day. Yeah. And, and usually people do have reasons for it. Yeah. No, it's just I get we, it. we need to come away with like, oh, that was, you know. I would have done that differently. That's that's mm-hmm. that's a mistake that I can learn from, you know. Mm-hmm. And also just trying to battle any anti-communists out there that are assholes, you know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we mentioned the teacher strike. Let's get into more of the education initiatives. Okay. All right. It's not all bad. He was building lots of schools around the country. Great. Increased school attendance. Increased literacy rates. Started a organization called the Pioneers of the Revolution. God, he's really good at names. Really great marketing team here. <laughs> this was a youth organization. Uh, they did kind of like political education. They were trying to kind of raise the next generation to be revolutionary. Mm, like, I love that. Don't be so selfish. Don't be so egoist. Like, mm, delicious. do things for society. Ugh, again, would love to start a communist like 
youth scouting program. Except I can't do outdoor shit, so I guess it would just be another book club. Sorry. It's like youth group for churches or whatever, but it's like communist. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. We go to like the like the bounce, what are they called? Not bounce houses. Like no, the, like the gyms and stuff. Like gyms and like the trampoline places, like trampoline world or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, can I, let me talk to you about communism. Have you heard the good word? We'll get thrown out. <laughs> I saw this cool chant that he was doing with them, with one of these groups in the documentary uh, where he was like doing a call and response sort of thing. And so Mm -hmm. he would say something and they'd be like down with it or down with them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So it's like imperialism down with it. Oh yeah. Neo-colonialism. Same thing. You know, reactionary students, counter-revolutionaries, the frightened bourgeoisie. Ooh, love Uh, it. Each one was down with them, you know? Oh, that's so good. I was like, holy shit. That's cool. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So education, some successes there. Obviously, mm-hmm. we saw the the downside of that with yeah, yeah. the teachers' union mistake. Yeah, public health big okay. time initiative uh, built a lot of health centers throughout the country, and also pharmacies built in more than five thousand villages. Trying to get a pharmacy to every village, basically. Nice, that's huge. Vaccinated two point five million people for polio, measles, yellow fever, and meningitis. That's awesome. Uh, reduced infant mortality rate. Also, kind of a more public health or like uh, lifestyle change, maybe like encouraged mass sports, like uh, mm. team sports. Okay. Asking people to kind of like pr- try to participate in those once a week. Also, like publicly did so himself and mm-hmm. like had his Cute. government officials like doing these soccer games and stuff. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> so yeah, like a lot of a lot of initiatives to try to care for people in that way. Yeah, I mean, I like that too because it's not. As a fat person, it's not like, oh, we have to fight an obesity epidemic. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, just like try to move more. And like, hey, here's a fun way to do it. It's cooperative. It's fun. You know, it's not like I'm going to scold you. It's like, hey, go kick a ball around. Yeah, it was it was also like, I think the emphasis on the team sports was kind Mm -hmm. of building camaraderie and stuff, too. Yeah, for sure. Love that. Uh, let's get to women's rights. Oh, love those. Definitely not an afterthought in Sankara's administration. He promised women's liberation, education, and participation in the revolution. Hell yes. And carried it out. Uh, he <laughs> ended forced marriages. Okay, great. Good. Ended polygamy. Ended female genital mutilation. Oh, fuck yes. Okay. Or, you know, like outlaw these things. I'm sure people tried to do them or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and also, uh, did away with what they would do is expel pregnant girls from schools when they found out that they were pregnant. So he stopped that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And the documentary he was talking to, like this group of guys, he's saying like, you know, well, they do this, you know, when they find out the girl's pregnant, they expel her, but nobody even tries to ask who the boy is. He might be even sitting in the class. Oh yeah. That's fucking true. And they just don't want to know, you know? And he's like, that's wrong. We're getting rid of that. Yeah. Fuck that. He encouraged women to work outside the home if they wanted to, uh, and to stay in school, uh, also promoted contraception. Nice. Admitted women into the military in full capacity. Wow, okay. Was the first African head of state to appoint women ministers to posts other than women's affairs. Wow, that, is, that took a long time, but okay. He was just like, I mean, he was basically across the board. Yeah, just anti-sexist. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, another thing, foreign policy. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, that's a big deal coming from a <laughs> former colony. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the main antagonists that he faced was France's neocolonialism, 
Mm-hmm. You have other, you know, vulture characters like the World Bank, the IMF. Hate those guys. The International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Yeah. And one of his big causes was debt. Mm, okay. Because Burkina Faso, for so long in this neocolonial relationship, had been building up debt. Mm-hmm. Once again, see open veins for our feelings mm-hmm. on IMF and the World Bank. I believe that's part two of our discussion. Episodes 36 and 37, if you want to find the open veins episodes. Gotta be one of my favorite books we've read, maybe yeah. ever. <laughs> and I think it's it's a really good one if you are more of a, a newer listener, if you're not wanting to go through the whole backlog. I get it. Mm-hmm. That one's a good one. As, like We touch back on that a lot. So, All right. Anyway. Anyway. Those guys are the baddies. So one thing he did, he re- <laughs> Burkina Faso rejected aid from the IMF. Great. And overall tried to reduce reliance on foreign aid. That was part of the big agriculture push was, let's make enough for ourselves so we don't have to. Fuck Ask yeah. these people to come in, give us help, and then ask to be <laughs> repaid later, you know? Exactly, yeah. I don't want your help with strings attached, please. Right. He also tried to organize African nations together to collectively mm. repudiate their foreign debt. Ooh, okay. I like that. This was awesome. So I found this in the documentary and then went to like read the speech also. And it's a speech he gives to the Organization of African Unity. Okay. And he says, you know, we're actually rich. We're this impoverished country, but we're actually rich. Africa's rich in natural resources. We're developed enough to have our own market. We could do these things. Mm -hmm. We don't have to rely on the colonizers to be dependent on them. We could produce for ourselves, right? But they Mm -hmm. intentionally keep us poor. They exploit us. It's, again, just exactly that message that we saw. And the reason that Latin America is so poor is because it was so rich. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a fucking coincidence. He's given the speech and he says, you know, we cannot do this alone ourselves, just our country. His quote was, if Burkina Faso stands alone in refusing to pay the debt, I won't be here for the next conference. They're <laughs> oh, going fuck. to get rid of me if I do that. Yeah. We, you know, basically saying like, right, we have to stand together. We can't, we have to avoid, you know, being individually picked off, individually brought into line. We have to actually have some international solidarity. Mm, yes, I was going to say, that is that is delicious, and that is an important piece. That was an awesome speech. He also had one that he gave to the UN General Assembly where he was talking about, he has this very, you know, internationalist view of things, mm-hmm. and a very, a big focus on solidarity. And I get that it's just a speech, you know, okay. And there's not a lot that he could do, you know, Burkina Faso could do in on to influence the international sphere. Yeah. You know, but he was talking about Palestine. You know, mm-hmm. he was talking about Ireland. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about indigenous people in the Americas. I mean, he was talking about all these different groups, apartheid South Africa. I mean, he was talking about all over the place that, you know, where he was like, we stand with you guys, you know, we're yeah. against the colonizers, the oppressors. So, yeah, uh, that's kind of his foreign policy. He was also, he also had like neighborly rivals. Okay. The Ivory Coast, especially. Mm, okay. Uh, was used to kind of using Burkina Faso as a pool of cheap labor. Mm, okay. And now they are trying to do things for themselves, <laughs> trying to be self-sufficient, not trying to get exploited by, you know, States here that are basically France's puppet. They yeah. were very much going along with the whole French game. Yeah. And he was like, no, we're, we're not 
we're not playing that anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah. And that kind of made them upset. I'm sure it did. And overall, his socialist policies made several groups upset, not just the Ivory Coast. <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing this like, I love this guy, but like, because I know the big spoilie that he's a martyr, I'm just like looking over my shoulder, just like, who's going to come for him? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Let's get into that. Oh, no. So his policies, socialist that they are. They continue and he's still there and everything's fine, right? We did it. I wish. Oh, fuck. They upset the middle class, right? The middle class, mm-hmm. they were kind of upset, scared, economically <sighs> losing their position. You no. Know. <laughs> the teeming hordes of dispossessed were coming for them. Mm. He upset the tribal leaders. We kind of mentioned that before, how they, yeah, how they okay. lost out on their previous status and things. Mm-hmm. And neighboring nations we mentioned, and not just the Ivory Coast, but any of the nearby countries that were ruled by kind of a neo-colonial sort of puppet administration. Yeah. Any of them who were really going along with France, and we'll get into that in a bit. Mm. They were scared that their people, just like we've discussed so many times, right? <laughs> they were scared that they would get onto that cool shit, that socialist <laughs> shit, that communist shit. Oh, if only it wasn't so cool. Right? Oh. To stop the, you know, they were they were wanting to stop the menace of communism. Wow. Okay. And, of course, France was still secretly dominating West Africa at the time. Yeah. And they did not like Sankara setting an example of someone being, you know, a successful opposition to okay. their kind of order. Oh, so the U.S. didn't poke its fucking dick in here for once? We'll slightly mention the U.S. Oh, no. <laughs> they can't keep it in their pants. No, they cannot. According to some accounts. Okay. That's okay. why we'll slightly mention them. But I want to focus on the France thing. Real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is messed up. We know they're doing neocolonialism, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they were also doing some kind of extra fucked up stuff. Okay. They had this messed up system called France Afrique. That sounds like a disco album, like an ABBA album. Yeah, it doesn't sound bad, but it is messed up. Um, okay. It's kind of their own mini, you know, coercive system that also has like straight up military components to it. So I, to me, mm. the way I thought of it was kind of like a mini Operation Condor almost. For more on that, check out episode 50. It's a doozy. Yeah, it was a dark chapter. So Francophique was also called Precaré or Backyard in French. Ugh, I hate that. A bad term for it. It's horrible, horrible terminology. Fuck. <laughs> uh, this was France's sphere of influence. Again, it's kind of neocolonial domination of its former colonies, but there's also this these covert efforts to manipulate the continent. Mm-hmm. It was secretly supported by the United States. <laughs> of course it was. Because this was seen as a way to combat the Soviets in the Cold War. Of course it was. But France Afrique was set up by a guy who worked for the French government, a real asshole named Jacques Focart. Okay. In 1960. And what ha- here's, here's how it's set up. So the French president and his advisors would collaborate with, like, business networks. Okay. And the French Secret Service and intelligence services and stuff to make policy, make things happen in Africa. Okay. Through a number of methods. Okay. One, they maintained an informal secret network with African leaders. They built up this kind of weird family-like 
relationship network. Oh my God. Okay, this is the kind of stuff that's going to make you sound like you're wearing a tinfoil hat. It, yes, <laughs> except for there are documents on this. Oh, it's so insane. Uh, this was a real fucking thing. Uh, it had no government oversight, led to a lot of corruption. It kind of co-opts those domestic African leaders into seeing themselves as being broadly on France's side. Mm-hmm. So when we wonder, why are they supporting the colonial powers? It's because they've been brought into this cozy relationship. Mm, okay. These networks could also uh, be fairly easily built and kept in line through foreign aid. Oh, of course, of course. Of course, right? The carrot always has the stick. And mm-hmm. France made countries join a currency union, which meant that they could basically control the money supply of their central banks. Fuck. Uh, and they made them sign cooperation accords to be able to get that the aid that they were giving. And so what shit. those are, the cooperation accords uh, meant that they would, would send French teachers and military advisors. Mm. And they would also get permission to just straight up maintain troops in the country Holy and intervene shit. militarily when they need, when they wanted to. That's insane. I'll do your taxes and your finances, but here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come to your house with guns. I'm going to send you. I'm going to indoctrinate you. It'll be fine. Just sign it. And you have to. <laughs> yeah, also you have to do it. <laughs> Uh, They also straight up did military interventions in Africa. They averaged around one per year. Oh, gosh. From 1960 to the mid-1990s. Oh, my God. Okay, great. Crazy stuff. And that was literally all going on. Okay, so French condor. And it goes on through several administrations. Like, this is not just like one guy's Mm -hmm. fucked up idea. I mean, you have conservative presidents. You have... One of their socialist pre- presidents, Francois Mitterrand. Damn, okay. Who also was doing this. Like, he was oh, big time into that. it. Even though the socialist party had been like, no, 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 we're anti-imperialist, blah, blah, blah. He was like, fuck it, whatever, I'm doing Fuck it. that, ugh. Um, yeah, asshole. Yeah, not a socialist in my book. So anyway, one of France's puppet regimes was, like we said, Ivory Coast. Mm-hmm. It was led by this jerk, Félix Oufoué Boigny. Okay. He had helped France before by supporting coups against their opponents in Ghana in 1966, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo in 1967, and in Benin in 1977. The Congo being, didn't like Shea go there? Uh, Shea went, yes, and also then went to Bolivia, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. So he had done this before. He knew how to play the game. He mm-hmm. liked France. He was so close to France. Like, he was their guy. And by 1987, he was ready to get rid of Sankara for upsetting his usual labor deal. We talked mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. And he was, of course, ready to help France because he loved helping France. Ugh, gross. And he wanted to help them get rid of a successful anti-imperialist leftist leader. Ugh, hate this guy. So he signed up for the coup. I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And he got himself a man on the inside. Oh, no. Right? He had himself someone in Burkina Faso who he could supply, who he could direct to carry out this coup. It wasn't the best friend, right? Somebody who he had a very close relationship with. Somebody who he had actually, like, introduced this guy to his wife. Like, like <gasps> so, so, Felix Soufoué Boigny, like, really had a close relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, could, could pull this dude. Mm-hmm. The, his man on the inside was... It wasn't the best friend, was it? A man 
closer to Sankara than any other. No, not the vocalist. The ultimate betrayal. No. Yes. His best friend, the coward Blaise Compare. No. Ugh. Ugh. Maybe like he didn't like the direction the band was going. <laughs> well, the, he the, had you know been. they never practice anymore. Well, he <laughs> had he was still though in the government. Like he was, mm, you know, okay. in the army and and doing things. He was part of the revolution that whole time. Shit. So he was still super close. No. But by 1987, kind of factions had arisen in the leadership and the people. And so he kind of had more pro-Sankara people and more pro-Kampaore people. Mm-hmm. Sankara kind of remained popular with like the common people, but those disgruntled elements, right? They kind of preferred the more moderate-sounding Kampaore. Mm, okay. Plus, he had kind of grown resentful. Mm-mm. You know, of the more popular, charismatic. This guy's Sankara. too popular. Everyone hates that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he was, you know, he wasn't like, listen, he wasn't, you know, going to be persuaded to do anything more moderate. He was like doing socialism. He's yeah. Like, Why? Why would we do that? That's wrong. <laughs> you know, when Compoara would try to tell him to do something else. Mm-hmm. The stage is set. And no. the crazy thing is. Sankara's captain, a guy named Bukhari Kabore, realized that something was going on. He realized the best friend, mm. Kompaora, was like up to something, scheming against him, suspected mm. that he was plotting to assassinate him even, and told Sankara, like, dude, we got to do something. Out. Like, let me go arrest him. Like, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, this is messed up. We can't let this happen. And Sankara said, no. <gasps> he said, he, I don't know like where he was at. Because he, he, he says, friendship can't be betrayed. Oh, no. He trusted him. And Well, I mean, because Kabora said, like, no, I mean, like, there's no more friendship. Like, he's, he's coming mm-hmm. for you, you know? And he's like, no, we can't be the ones to do that. They have to be the ones to do that. Oh, wow. Weird move. Yeah. I'm like, where would you be mentally if you're in that space? I don't know. I interpreted it as, like, he didn't believe his the other guy and was like no he'd never do that to me we're buds mm, see i thought it was more like not willing to like face it or deal with it he's just mm. like no you know interesting i don't know there's no way to like tell yeah i was just kind of like there's loyalty but like come on yeah it's <laughs> that's not very self-preservation <laughs> <Right>. minded <laughs> so they put the coup together mm. france the ivory coast compaora there also may have been, and I couldn't really confirm this or like find much on it, but it was mentioned, uh, that there may have been some help from a Liberian warlord named Charles Taylor. Okay. Who had been a CIA asset for a long time. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's always that connection. <laughs> Shocking. I couldn't find a ton on that, so I just wanted to mention it, but mm, okay, not sure. Okay. And so on October 15th, 1987. No. Sankara's having a meeting with his cabinet. Mm. And Compaora's personal guards bust in and they gun Sankara down. No. They riddle him with more than a dozen bullets. Fuck. They also kill 12 other attendees at the meeting. Fuck. Uh, They dismember Sankara and buried him in an unmarked grave. Holy shit. Okay. And his widows and kids fled the country for safety. Wow. 
Fuck. That sucks. Yep. And then the coward Damn. Compaora took power. He, re- he like, was a real asshole about this. So he goes mm-hmm. on, on interviews and stuff afterward. They're like, and people are kind of taking his word for it. It's fucked up. Because mm-hmm. um, they're just interviewing him like he's a real person. And by the way, France, for their part in supporting this, like, immediately recognized him as like the of legitimate course. government and they were like great no <laughs> great, I'm glad awesome. you're bringing some stability but like he goes on these interviews and claims like an asshole that he had been the one targeted for assassination like, <gasps> he just kind of like he was you know stepping in to like survive you know and oh. that he was you know feeling betrayed that he that, that came to this from his friend fuck this guy oh my god oh what a fake friend <laughs> right Dude, he sucks. Ugh, fuck that. And uh, he became president. He ruled Burkina Faso from 1987 to, when do you want to think? Guess. 2003. No, longer. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah. 2010. Longer than that. 2014. Holy shit. <laughs> How long is that? That's, uh, what, like 30 years almost? 27. 27 years. Jesus Christ. Was it worth it? It was not Ugh. worth it because it's bullshit what he does. He gets in there. As soon as he takes power, he starts what he calls the rectification mm, of Sankara's democratic and popular revolution, what he called it, mm. right? the social revolution. Mm-hmm. He says, we're going to fix like the errors of the revolution, oh, which means that he just reversed all the socialist initiatives. Of course that he, he did. Of course he did. I hope this guy was haunted as hell. That like Sankara's ghost was just up in like wherever the president lives. Just he like, was always like playing his guitar right in his ear, like out of tune. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope he was just like spilling things constantly. Just was a real pain in the ass. He just has dreams of like a battle of the band situation, <laughs> but like Sankara's, you know, bringing in all the crowds and everyone's yeah. like, yeah. And then he's and he just can't like over there, his songs. badly singing. <laughs> Ugh. So, Compaora was a, I mean, a real piece of shit we just saw, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In power, he was also a neoliberal's neoliberal. I mean, Ugh. he was deregulating everything in sight, privatizing <laughs> everything he could, submitted Burkina Faso back to the neo-colonial rule by rejoining the IMF. God damn it. The World Bank. Uh, and he was also just an asshole domestically. He like ruled with an iron fist, rigged election after election. That's how he was around for so long. Mm-hmm. He eventually does get a little comeuppance. People had enough of him in 2014. He tries to amend the constitution to stay president for even longer. And they were like, <laughs> fuck you. Uh, oh, and they good. revolted. There were protests, there were riots. Uh, they burned down some government buildings and he fuck eventually yeah. got scared and left. Good. Fled to his friends in the Ivory Coast. Of course he did. What a piece of shit. And so, yeah, that's kind of like the long aftermath. Mm -hmm. Burkina Faso now has a basically liberal democratic government. You know, I mean, a basically. Your standard government. Right. (laughs) It, however, does face a ton of problems. Exacerbated by decades of, you know, opening the country up to (laughs) capitalist exploitation. Yeah, yeah. They now have a largely agricultural economy. It's about 80% of people working in that. It's about 32% of their GDP. Wow. It's focused on ranching and just subsistence farming. Mm-hmm. They're racked by food insecurity. 43% of people live below the poverty line. Holy shit. They are 182nd out of 189 
countries on the Human Development Index in 2020. Oh, fuck. They're also the target of terrorist attacks, so much so that France has troops there doing counterterrorism, as does the United States. Mm, okay. And that's why I was saying, like, imagine if Sankara had just, you know, mm-hmm. been able to keep carrying out a revolution or someone followed him who did that too. Like, it doesn't Ugh. have to be like this. Yeah, I want to see that fanfic. Yeah, where could they be now, I guess, is what I was thinking when I was looking <sighs> at all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's rough. In April 2021, the government of Burkina Faso did indict Compaora on uh, mm. charges for murdering Sankara. Good. Uh, in absentia. I mean, he's not there. Yeah, just yeah. telling him he's an asshole, you know. Yeah, like, hey, we all know. Yeah, that's where they're at. Damn. The tragedy of Thomas Sankara. Oh, I I was I started yelling like, is it the friend? And you weren't saying no. And I was like, fuck, it's the friend. Yep. <laughs> oh, that sucks. That sucks. I'm like, it couldn't be. That'd be too. That'd be too crazy. They are besties. He helped him get in there. Oh. Yeah. He went from like you know trying to liberate him and all that to stabbing or to shooting him in the back. Not personally, he wasn't there. And then later was like, no, I couldn't have done it. Totally I was like, sick. Me. I was at home. You know. I was sick. <laughs> So that's one lesson, right? Take action against people who are out to get you. Yeah, yeah. If someone, if you find out about an assassination plot, maybe do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sucks. It sucks. Or, you know, make sure your friends feel loved and involved. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he missed some birthdays. I don't know. Does not justify an execution, but. No, know. for sure. <laughs> I would say, though, that, like, just from what I saw, and maybe this was just in his like public speaking stuff mm-hmm. and maybe not so much in the interpersonal. Although a lot of people who were interviewed were like, Thomas Hunker, I still love him. Like he's so cool. Mm-hmm. you know. But like in terms of his public speaking stuff, he was so like easygoing. I mean, yeah. like, he was just like cracking jokes and like, oh. you know, just like, and he could even, you know, while telling you a hard truth, while mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is something we got to do. This has been messed up and we're going to fix it. Like still like, able to get that across to people in a in an approachable way yeah yeah that's huge so one of the one of the people they interviewed said you know he was very good at like taking the role of the little brother or the small brother and um, you know in this way he was he seemed less threatening and like could really criticize you know and he would go to like events with you know the french president francois mitterrand and would like criticized i mean there was this one where he was like he mitterrand had visited uh burkina faso Mm -hmm. and at their at one of their you know public events he was like you guys have blood on your hands for supporting the apartheid regime (laughs) fuck yes and uh love it it was just like right there next to you and then you know mitterrand afterward just like you know we have some disagreements but uh you know (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so good he could like talk shit he could promise big things he could get people behind a message credit he could do all these things while not really like coming across stridently or in an as an asshole you know yeah yeah it sounds like he just kind of knew like he was just fucking popular like that's the my i feel like his main personality trait is just popular super popular well okay i did want to talk about that a little bit as this is our Mm -hmm. discussion section right yeah 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 I think that maybe one of uh, one of a, a criticism, I guess, 
mm-hmm. of the overall arc that happened is, well, not too <laughs> popular, but maybe too reliant on mm. popularity. Like, he was the center of that revolution, and, like, ah, he okay. moved it. But when he was gone, we saw how easily it was undone. Okay, so the great man issue we got here. Yeah, there was a little bit too much of the popularity holding it together. And I know he did try, you know, to raise a next generation. Mm-hmm. And he, was, he wasn't in power too long. So maybe if he had been there for longer, it could have worked. Yeah, or like somehow raise the profile of some of his other people around him or yeah. something. Just so there was like a more clear option if something happened to him. I don't know. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I viewed it as like, cool, this guy's popular. It's like a fucking mass movement. But yeah, you're right. That does fall into the, the great man theory trap of like, something happens to this guy, you're fucked. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when liberals are so happy they get, you know, a nice guy president in that can make some good executive orders. It's like, oh, dude, that all comes undone immediately. <laughs> someone else is in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just a waste of time at that point. Ugh. So I, I'm, I guess I'm not opposed to just be, I mean, being popular, obviously it helped, right? <laughs> yeah. For sure. But there has to be more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, he didn't have long, so it's not so much like a, damn, why couldn't you figure this out? The array of, of forces against him was quite large and mm-hmm. powerful. So like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like, this is his fucking fault for not taking care of this. I think it's, yeah, these people fucked him over. <laughs> Yeah, and look how much he did in a very small, landlocked country that had had so much, you know, suffering beforehand and everything. He made, you know, a sizable difference in trajectory there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it reverted. It went back to bad Mm -hmm. yeah, because this guy decided to be an asshole um, and the forces of reaction were too strong, but like it could have been better, you know? I just, I also keep coming back to the fact that for me, and I feel like most people I would talk to would not know him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really fucking telling that one, like he's black, he's African. And two, that like I was expecting at some point for like there to be a, a murder situation or like something. He had one strike. He fired some teachers. This guy didn't like do a whole bunch of murder or something. And so like fucking telling that we had this like pretty successful example of socialism. Cause you know, that's everybody's fucking first question. It's like, when has it ever worked? Yep. And we don't talk about this one. <laughs> yeah. And you know, again, I do want to say, you know, when they do the tribunals, when they do things like, you know, the, the defense committees and stuff. It's, yeah, sure. There yeah. are, there is excess. Yeah. But no executions. And that's huge. <laughs> yeah. I think that probably at some point, I mean, you know, for example, when they took power in the coup. I mean, when they, they did took kill power in the coup, but like that's just what uh, coups are. <laughs> yeah, I just mean, you know, I, d- I guess I don't want to try to completely sanitize it, but you're right that like in a general scale, mm-hmm. not that much violence. This is not. He didn't pull a Mao and be like, "Just kidding, we're doing purges." You know, right. he didn't. He There's didn't... not a big gulag system that you know, mm-hmm. while not too much different, honestly, in terms of scale versus the United States prison complex. Still, mm-hmm. it's a prison complex, which we don't like. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like that. There's not a big, like, r- you know, red mark on his permanent record, is what I'm saying. Again, the guy yeah. got one strike from me, which yeah. is, I think only Angela Davis has ever gotten that good of a score from me. Damn. Yeah, that's, yeah. Pre- that's pretty good. Pretty good. I don't know. I, I, I guess, like you said, he's surrounded by opponents. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing we need to take from it is whatever projects put together, whatever actual existing socialist state. And we see this even now, you know, 
with Cuba, mm-hmm. you know, with with any place that's with that's that's doing socialism in some way. There's you know all these countries that that get super isolated once they are mm-hmm. do, pursuing a socialist path. You know, we I mean that's something we'd have to be ready for enemies in every corner. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he was working on that too, like with his attempts to get solidarity with the rest of Africa, which would be huge. But again, that's such a long game and it's so hard Mm -hmm. to build that kind of power when you do have these power structures like the IMF and the World Bank and, you know, basically everyone holding the reins besides you. And you have to convince, you have to get like a critical mass of countries to be like, yeah, I'm in. And the people in those countries to be able to somehow take power for themselves so that you can talk to those people. Yeah, because it's like all the people in charge are just fucking puppets for these like yeah. ex-colonial people. So like, <laughs> how can you get anywhere with them? What are you yeah. gonna do? They yeah. like go picnic with the French president, you know? Like. <laughs> yeah, they're part of their secret family society. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh. One other thing I thought about on this I was thinking about kind of all right, you know, your nice liberal friends. Hmm. Who are like, well, you know, I mean, we need to reform the system, right? We need to <laughs> have a nicer, a cleaner, a more socially conscious mm-hmm. capitalism. With that, the hidden side to like that nice version of capitalism is imperialism. I mean, it's it's neocolonialism. It's all this yeah. that we're looking at. This is yeah. the brutal underbelly to that. Yeah, that's like, I feel like so much of that is the root. Like, if you get rid of everything but that like guess what she's gonna grow the fuck back like (laughs) yeah it's just there yeah it's it's a global system at this point capitalism is gonna do this to somebody Mm -hmm. even if you try to do it nicely domestically like it's gonna impose it's gonna exploit people somewhere and the people who rise up against it i mean they have a habit of getting mowed down by their best friend's troops Mm -hmm. you know you encounter the Vote blue no matter who crowd <laughs> when you encounter, you know, people who are standing Elizabeth Warren or whatever, you know, they want to do yeah. a, a nice version of capitalism. This is like what what it requires. And they don't they probably don't know that, you know, or associate that because we don't talk about it like we don't we don't acknowledge that mm-hmm. imperialism exists. People think of it as an old ass British thing that like used yeah. to be a thing and now isn't and like. Even when we do, it's in it's put in these terms of individual choices of like, yeah, you should buy like ethical clothing so you don't mm. like purchase from sweatshops or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to dismantle the system the of exploited labor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, they're still going to get fucked over. Yep. Ugh. I will say, I think this is our first like biography that had kind of a eco-socialist bent to it and i loved it because like yeah i was not expecting them to take that into account i don't i guess again i had my time periods off but even in the 80s like we were starting to talk about the environment more Mm -hmm. um but like i i have seen time and time again like often with these movements it's like yeah we've got to boost up production no matter fucking what and like i get it but like that was awesome that it was like okay we can do that and we can also not fuck the earth over like that's huge right and i like that you know in their situation it made so much sense because like they were tied together if you mm-hmm. just decide to like you said monoculture it and, and and ruin your soil the whole place is a desert now good job like you yeah you messed it up you're because they're right on the border they saw it 
you know, already happening. And they realize kind of, right, if we're going to be doing agricultural development so that we can feed our people, well, we need soil. <laughs> we have to, we have to, you know, fight. No, it's just the responsible thing to do. Even if you're looking at it from a pure, like, yield kind of mindset, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you'll get a boost in the short term, the long term, you are fucked. And like, that was another thing in, in open veins too. Like there are so many monocultures there and it just absolutely ravaged their environment so that when they were trying to become like independently sustainable, it was much harder for them to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of an American parallel to that is in, you know, the dust bowl and the great depression and everything is, mm, yeah. you know, people were just looking out for themselves, not doing any sort of like collective planning on that and over planting, you know, everything and, mm-hmm. and just ruining the soil draining it completely out. And so it just blows away and everything. And, and part of the new deal, you know, was as liberal capitalist <laughs> as it is, sure. You know, mm-hmm. was getting farmers on this on board with like doing basically environmental stuff, but yeah. in a way that was like, this is good for you because it means you will have soil. Like we're planting windbreaks, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're paying you to leave fields fallow so that, we have soil for you. Again, this is not just you being a tree hugger. <laughs> this is like good for you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which I think maybe we have to do in terms of reaching a lot of people is it's not good enough to be like, oh, the planet is like dying and stuff. <laughs> you <laughs> just have to insane. sell it to them. Like the plot of every movie is like the planet's in danger, but I guess that's fine if it happens in real life. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what? <laughs> it gives a shit. Well, your well-being. Oh, okay. I'll listen. Oh, yeah. Okay. A downer again. <laughs> I know. Every conversation just ends in that same kind of pitch of, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now what? I don't think I have anything else. Yeah, I mean, I'm reading about SAGs, and I don't... Are they super popular? So SAGs make friends with people from all walks of life. They love to laugh and tease. The little brother kind of yeah. personality. Ooh, ooh, here's one. Their optimism is infectious, although it can get them into trouble from time to time. Oh. Did not listen to that guy saying, hey, your friend wants to kill you. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) It'll be fine. We're besties. I think it'll work. Right? (laughs) Too trusting. That's the thing, though, dude. With that, he also just didn't have to, like, straight up fucking murder him. Like, they've had coups in the past where they're just like, you lose. You want to be exiled arrested what you know and mm-hmm. they just yeah, like, like leave. it's not like he had to murder him you know the guy uh Wedgerogo, the president that they ousted mm-hmm. yeah yeah he survived that i know and he's still he's still alive <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so it's not like you had to murder your bestie which like is the plot of i feel like many shakespeare plays or something like oh i have to murder my friend to keep power or something right like, yeah it's not like that situation you could just be like hey don't don't coo me. Please go away. <laughs> yeah. There's no lesson to be drawn from that because that was the other side and they'll do what they'll do. But like. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's sucks. Just, yeah. Gratuitous being an asshole. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a bummer ending. But man, I'm just I was very impressed with him. The women's rights, the uh, ecology, the, you know, just the infrastructure and building like awesome stuff, man. Love yeah. this guy. Like you said, a rare example of a one strike. I mean, that's yeah, that's really fucking good. It is. We're it picky. Is. I mean, you know, we're like, <laughs> we are. Like, Marx doesn't suffer utopians, but we do, and we like to pick and choose and say like, <laughs> oh well, I wouldn't have done it like that. <laughs> a yeah, little whiny, no. but like we do it, and he survived all the same. Yeah, he did great. 
Okay. Thank you for teaching me about him. You are welcome. Okay. What are we doing next week? Next week, we are... I figured a tonal shift is good. We've been really, Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of tackling some heavier, uh, (laughs) darker topics. It'd be weird if we weren't. Usually, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I wanted to give us a chance to, like, Mm -hmm. laugh at the other side a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Laugh at the empires. Mm, I love that. And so, what we're going to learn about next week is the Bay of Pigs. Awesome. The attempted invasion of Cuba by United States-backed forces. It's a comedy of errors. It's like slapstick humor. (laughs) It was pretty good. Okay. Both for my own benefit and the listeners, I'm going to go back and listen to our J episode. Good idea. Good idea. And that's episode 21, if you want to go back and listen to it as well. It's some good background and kind of context to the Cuban Revolution and everything. In the meantime, you can find us online. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can send us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places you can use to send us questions or feedback or suggestions for future episodes. And of course, compliments. Yes, yes. Mostly compliments. The other things are welcome too, I guess. <laughs> you can do all of them. It's fine. <laughs> you can and you should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. It really helps people find the show and boosts us up on those little charts. And I love it and I need it. So do that, please. Do your part. It's practice, remember, so... <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) We have a YouTube. If that's your preferred podcast listening method, or if you know someone, maybe a a Gen Zer or something, I hear they they like that. I don't Mm, know. Okay. I sound very old now. I did just have a birthday. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And finally, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Teach Me Communism. And that's where, for $5 a month, you get access to our notes for each episode, including the backlog. And it's very useful for looking up questions. Yeah. So this week you'll be getting Grady's notes. They're pretty good. They got hyperlinks, so nice. Check them out. And if you listened to last week's episode, if you want to get my notes for that, I did like extra images and stuff in there. So like I mm. gave you, I gave you all some bonus shit. Thanks for being a great student. Thanks for teaching me. This was really fun because I knew literally nothing about <laughs> the country in general and mm. also this guy. So like that was awesome. Yeah, thank you guys, listeners out there, for tuning in. Carry the spirit of Sankara with you as you go forward through this week. And catch us next week on another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Let's go start a band. All right, yeah. I'll play (laughs) bass or guitar. Okay, I can do keyboard. We got this. (laughs) All right, bye, y'all. Bye.